0: Well, today is Palm Sunday, and it's the start of Holy Week. And on Palm Sunday, we remember and celebrate, uh, as we've just seen, the time when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, so much happens, so much of the priorities of Jesus come into focus as uh, we see sort of um, the narrowing of his ministry and all the things in the final days that lead up to his arrest and his crucifixion and then the resurrection. And so today we, we start that and we think about Palm Sunday day, uh, as we just saw uh, of Jesus riding in on a donkey. This was in contrast to the Roman emperors who would have a procession like this, but they would ride a huge war horse with a show of power and might uh, and, and, and violence to say to people that if you don't follow us, if you don't do what we tell you you ought to do, uh, then there will be consequences. There will be violence. And that's how Rome ruled. That was their politics in that day. And Jesus instead, comes in in his uh, own nonviolent humble and meek procession and in that we see real authority and real power but in a very different way than the political world around him and when he gets into Jerusalem as i said just a second ago we see in the the days of holy week some of his greatest priorities the things that he's been teaching in his ministry come into focus and what we see is on Palm Sunday, there's crowds that are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. That there's this declaration of uh, dependence on Jesus, trust in Jesus. And yet there are political and religious leaders and some in the crowd who will turn on him and take what he has taught. And they will use that as the reasons why they will have him executed. As we enter into Holy Week, I want us to think about what it looks like for us to walk with Jesus in and through those things. What would it really look like for people to walk with Jesus the way that he did? To walk through um, some of those main priorities and to be living them out no matter what's going on around us. And this year has been one where uh, we've talked about this a number of times, but we have collectively lost a lot of our um, traditions, a lot of the things that we're used to, and we're coming to Easter again this year, and uh, not uh, gathering in person for Sunday services this year, uh, which is again hard to believe. And there's certain aspects of our traditions and our religious traditions that we're missing, that we've lost out on at this time uh, in our lives. And that's difficult, but it gives us the opportunity to stop and to reflect and to ask ourselves, what is truly important? What religious traditions are the most important? If we're going to walk with Jesus, what should that look like? And when some of the things that we're used to doing aren't available to us, I think we have a chance to ask ourselves, what does it look like to really walk with Jesus? And here is what I found so challenging preparing for today's message. That if we really, truly, honestly and authentically want to walk with Jesus and put that into practice, it might mean that we walk away from our religion. That might be exactly what needs to happen. The way that we express our religion and faith, there might be aspects of that. And maybe really big chunks of it that we will end up walking away from. So think about that as we look now um, into the next day in Mark's gospel. After Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into the city where he goes and what he does, which shows us one of his great priorities. So this is from Mark chapter 11, and I'll start reading in verse 12. It says, on the following day, so the day after Palm Sunday, Monday of Holy Week, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, this is a little bit of a curious passage, but it's part of a frame, which is a, a literary um, unit, a literary uh, device. In order to frame one event that we're going to get to in a second. Because we're going to come back at the end of it to the fig tree again. So we'll see something about the fig tree. We're going to come back to the fig tree. And it's going to be an illustration for what happens in between uh, our readings about the fig tree. But it's curious because Jesus comes to a fig tree. It's in leaf. But he doesn't find any figs. There's no fruit. And so he curses it. says, may no one ever eat fruit off this tree ever again. But it also said that it's not the season for fruit. It's not the season for figs. In other words, the weird thing about this is Jesus you know, seems to be upset that there's no figs, but you wouldn't at this time expect to find figs on the tree. That's what causes you to scratch your head. Now, here's why he does this. This is what we call a prophetic symbolic action. So Jesus is acting prophetically and he's acting out something. It's going to be an illustration for something that he wants to teach. So when Jesus comes and he finds no figs on a tree that you don't expect to find fruit on, the next thing that we're going to connect this to, Jesus is going to go to the temple and we're going to ask the question, when Jesus goes to the temple, should he expect to find fruit? What should he expect to find? Should there be fruit of healthy religion, healthy spirituality, health faith there, uh, healthy faith there? Is that what he's going to find? Or is he going to find a fruitless religious system? So verse 15 says, and they came to Jerusalem And he entered the temple, Jesus, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. There's an important point here of what's happening. So Jesus goes into the temple. The temple is the central part of the religious system for the Jewish people. And Jesus is Jewish. So he's going to his own religious center Where they would come and do pilgrimages, where they would bring sacrifices, where they would worship their God, Yahweh. An extremely, extremely sacred and important place for Jesus and for his uh, family, uh, his religious tradition. And he starts throwing over the tables... And driving out those who buy or sell, those who uh, change money and sell pigeons. Now, there's a common misconception. If you've, if you've heard of this, some people call it the, um, the cleansing of the temple and people say, oh, Jesus goes in the temple and he sees people doing business and he's mad that they're doing business. And so he, he drives them out because it's supposed to be a place of worship. But that's not actually what's happening here. Jesus is shutting down the function of the temple. It's the same thing he was doing with the fig tree. He was shutting it down so that it would no longer operate. And this for Jesus is temporary because he's going to turn over the, the tables and run people out. But they're going to come back in short order. But he's, he's looking to something in the future. This is, a again, a prophetic symbolic action. He's making sure that the functions of the temple are temporarily shut down to prove his point, to make his point. But he's not angry at the people who are buying and selling or changing money or selling pigeons. These are all legitimate practices that needed to happen at the temple. People needed to buy and sell so that they could have the proper sacrifices. They needed money changers so that they could pay their temple tax uh, and and perform their other services that they need to at the temple. They need people to provide the pigeons for certain sacrifices. These were all things that were supposed to happen in the temple. Jesus is not mad that those things are happening, but he's driving those things out because he's shutting down the temple for a bigger reason, which we find out in the next verse. Verse 17 says... And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. This uh, verse has two very, very important quotes in it that give the context for why Jesus is upset and what he's teaching about the way that the religious system was acting. And I got to say here that Jesus is not anti-Jewish. That's not the point of what Jesus is teaching here. That all this stuff that is happening in the Jewish system is bad. It's the way that these people are um, worshiping. The way that they're living is an offense. And we get to that by the context provided by these two quotes. So the first quote that says "My my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations comes from Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56 is an Old Testament book. A prophetic book. The prophet Isaiah and the 56th chapter is about foreigners. These are people who are not Jewish, who are outside of the, the family, as it were, outside of the religious tradition. And it's talking about them being welcomed an inclusive religious tradition that in, a, in a, a world, an ancient world, not so different from our world today, but in the ancient world, which is, was so nationalistic and every nation seemed to have their gods and our gods are against your gods and our people are against your people. Isaiah chapter 56 was a, a different kind of tone. It was our religious tradition is supposed to be inclusive of people. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to be offered to everybody and they should be able to come to our temple and to worship and to be accepted. It's supposed to be able to bring in people that aren't like you and don't look like you and aren't part of your nationality and aren't part of your religious background. It's an amazing, amazing passage. The chapter starts by saying, this is really important. Remember this, keep justice and do righteousness for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. Justice and righteousness are two very important terms. Together they are, justice is making sure that people who have been wronged, People who have been impoverished, people who have had violence done against them, people who have been kept uh, down kept out, excluded, people who um, are are living in poverty because people haven't given them a chance, people who have been enslaved, people who have been mistreated in all number of ways. Justice is making sure that those wrongs are righted. Righteousness is living in such a way that those wrongs never occurred, That, that your way of living and collectively their way of living doesn't put people in poverty, doesn't keep certain people out, doesn't make people vulnerable, doesn't abuse people. And so Isaiah 56 starts by saying keep justice and do righteousness that's the pathway for God's salvation coming and his deliverance. The chapter finishes by saying and this is about specifically foreigners. So these are people who wouldn't always be accepted, people who, again who are from the outside. Says this, "These From God's perspective, I will bring to my holy mountain. That's where the temple is. That's where the worship is taking place. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Our religious center for Israel, says God, will be about bringing outcasts and foreigners together to connect with God, with Yahweh. In other words, it's supposed to be an inclusive place where anyone can find and connect with God. Their sacrifices will will be acceptable here. This is where they can come and worship too. Amazing. So that was one of the things that Jesus quoted when he comes into the temple. It indicates a problem. That's happening. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, for all the people, which means right now it's not. There are people who are not being included, people who are not being invited, people who are being pushed out, outcasts that are not being invited in. And that's what's making Jesus upset. The second part of the quote says, but you have made it a den of robbers, comes from Jeremiah 7. Listen to some verses from Jeremiah 7. In verse 3 it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel... Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust these deceptive words. This is a temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. This is so amazing. These deceptive words. In other words, prophet is declaring to the people, your words about your religious tradition are a lie. You're going around saying, the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh, we are true worshipers of Yahweh. The one true God, we are the true worshipers of Yahweh. And this is our temple, the temple of Yahweh, the temple. And Jeremiah is saying, those words are a lie. Your religious traditions, the way that you're uh, celebrating, the way that you're worshiping, the way that you're living is a lie. You can't just run around saying, ah, yeah, the temple of Yahweh. You're not representing Yahweh. And look what Jeremiah says is the reason for this. Verse 5, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another. Same theme, justice. You need to treat people properly. You need to make sure that vulnerable people have enough. You need to make, pe- make sure that people uh, are not abused. They're not excluded. You need to care for the needs of people who don't have enough. You need to look out for each other. Verse 6, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods on your own... Harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Things you're saying about your religion are a lie. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. In other words, you're going out there and executing injustice. And you're not caring for the people who need to be cared for most. So we have a list, and it's not a comprehensive list, but it's a list that represents the people who would be most vulnerable in their society. Verse 6, oppressing the sojourner. So think again of maybe an immigrant, somebody who comes and has no provision or protection from their family. Uh, They're out in a a country that they don't know the customs, and they don't have people there that are going to look out for them. Maybe not just immigrants, but refugees. Maybe they're escaping a very dangerous situation. Are you going to oppress them? Or then the fatherless or the widow. So people who are vulnerable because especially um, they depended so much on the father figure of each household that women without a, a husband or a father to protect them or provide for them were extremely vulnerable Women just just didn't have opportunities to go out and work. And, and kids who don't have a father, that, that person that's going to provide for them, these are people that are going to have nothing. They're going to be extremely vulnerable. So you're going to go out. And if you're not going to be just, if you're not going to care for these people. You can't just come into the temple. You can't go around and treat people poorly, whether it's stealing from people or murdering people or committing adultery or lying to them or or making offerings to these other gods. You can't do all these things that hurt other people, abuse other people, exclude other people, and then come into the temple And say, ah, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the temple of Yahweh. We're good worshipers. Everything's good between me and God because I come and I do my worship. Saying, no, 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 no. This kind of worship is not acceptable. And so in verse 11, it talks about the house of God, the house of the Lord becoming a den of robbers. And this is what Jesus gets to. And this is important. The den of robbers isn't where the crime is committed. It's where the thieves hide out. So when Jesus went into the temple and he's driving out the money changers and the people buying selling, it's not that those people are committing a crime. It's that the people are committing crimes in their lives. They're committing injustice. They're ignoring the the plight of people who are most vulnerable and most hurting and most in need. And they're living in such a way that selfish and doesn't care for those in need. And then they're coming into the temple and saying, oh yeah, we're good with God. We've got our sacrifices. He loves us. He forgives us. Everything's good. Saying this is just a hideout for robbers and thieves. You're treating these people terribly. And then you just come in and pretend like everything's great with you and God. You're hiding out. You've turned the temple into a place where robbers can come and hide and feel good about themselves. We go back to the beginning of what we read in Jeremiah. He's saying these are deceptive words. You're lying. Your religious talk, your, your religious hypocrisy, it's all lies. This is a den of robbers. You're hiding out. You can't live that way and then come here and pretend like everything's good between you and God. And oh, we're Yahweh worshipers. This is the, the house of Yahweh. No, no, no. This has become a hideout for people who are perpetuating injustice. Your religion is a lie. You're using your religion to excuse injustice. Man, this is so, so powerful for us to make sure that we think about. And when we think about what our religious traditions are and how we express our faith and what we make sure is such a big priority. And to make sure that our religion must encourage us to do justice, not excuse us from it. So we can't have these religious practices where we say, I come to church or this year, I watch church every week. We talk about forgiveness and grace. It makes me feel good. Maybe it makes me believe like I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And so everything's good between me and God. And to ignore how we live and treat other people now. We, we ignore people who are living in poverty People who are excluded, people who don't have the help that they need, people who don't have people welcoming them in and protecting them and providing for them. You can't get away with that. That's what Jeremiah was saying. That's what Isaiah was saying. That's what Jesus was saying. You can't use your religious traditions to hide your lifestyle. So then we got to ask ourselves if we're really walking with Jesus. We really want to walk with Jesus. What are the ways in which we might do the same thing? I know we don't set out to do that. But what are the ways we might set up our religious routines or rituals in such a way that it kind of lets us hide from actually living in a just way, in a caring way, in a loving way? You know, this is what Jesus taught when he was asked, what was the most important thing about the entire law? And he said to love God with everything that you are and to love your neighbor Because you can't separate the two. You can't just say, wow, I love God so much. I go and I sing the worship songs and I go and I listen to a sermon and I I show up to church. I show up to YouTube this year and then go out and ignore how you treat other people. You can't separate them out. That's not how God works. God is love. And so it has to go together. The whole thing has to go together. Which means if your religion makes you believe that God loves you, but doesn't help you love others, your religion is a lie. If your religion leads you to believe that God is for you but hates your enemies, your religion is a lie. If your religion convinces you that God provides for all of your needs but lets you ignore the needs of others, your religion is a lie. If your religion assures you of an afterlife but ignores how you live in this life, your religion is a lie. If your religion believes that God offers mercy to you and judgment towards others, your religion is a lie. If your religion is a social club of people that are like you but lets you ignore the pain of people who aren't like you, your religion is a lie. Our religion must encourage us to do justice, not excuse us from it. If our religion is walking with Jesus, following Jesus, there's no way to get around it. It demands that we love people who aren't like us to welcome outsiders, to care for those in need, to forgive the guilty God says, and Jesus is calling this out, I reject your religion when it becomes a refuge for robbers. I reject that kind of worship because it's a lie. You you can't come come to this temple and say, ah, I worship Yahweh, if that's how you live. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7 continues. The word of the Lord to the people. It says, go now to my place that was in Shiloh where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these things declares the Lord and when I spoke to you persistently you did not listen and when I called you you did not answer. Therefore I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I give to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. Here's what happened in Shiloh. Um, the people before the temple was built, people of Israel built the the temple to worship in. Uh, They had the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where the concentrated presence of God was. It was kind of this big holy box that they would carry around. And when they got into the land, they took it to Shiloh and they left it there. But because of their wickedness, Shiloh was destroyed by the Philistines. And that's what's being alluded to here by Jeremiah. And he's saying what happened to Shiloh when that that place was destroyed is going to happen to the temple. Which is now what Jesus is picking up on. Jesus is in the temple. And just like the fig tree... He's saying this is not bearing fruit and this is going to be destroyed. And Jesus, what he's teaching is because this is such a lie and because you're not actually living in a loving way and you're not caring for people, this is all a charade. It's all going to fall apart. And within 40 years of Jesus' death and resurrection, the Romans come and destroy the temple, completely destroyed. That's what Jesus was talking about. This is such a lie. It's not, it's not going to stand up. It's not going to last. This isn't what God, God wants for this. So back in Mark chapter 11, back to Jesus, after he had done this, driven these people out. And this would, this would have been something, this would have attracted a lot of attention. It says in verse 18, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. You have the, the ones who are leading this kind of religious tradition, The ones who benefit from things being the way that they are and not having them change and they're furious. But then there's these crowds of people who go, we're astonished. This guy's teaching something so powerful. By the way, same thing that happened to Jeremiah. Uh, The leadership wanted him dead. The people stood up for him and he narrowly uh, avoided at that time uh, being killed. But this is going to be one of the things that gets Jesus crucified. They're so mad at him for this critique for calling out their hypocrisy. Uh, for doing that in their temple, it's going to drive them to want to arrest him and have him crucified. So then in verse 20, it says, uh, as they go out of the city, Jesus and his the disciples, they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And this is the framing, right? The, the fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit. going to wither. It's dying. It's not healthy. And we see the commentary on the temple that he went to see if he could find good fruit there and there's no fruit there either. And that that temple is going to be destroyed. It's going to, it's going to fall apart because it's, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Uh, when Jesus talks about the mountain here, they're sitting looking at the mountain and on the top of the mountain is the temple. That's what he's talking about. This whole, this whole system, the corruption of the system. Again, he's not being anti-Jewish here. He's being anti-corruption, anti-hypocrisy. But he's saying, look, this, thing's, this whole thing's going to be toppled, overturned. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. And that was the, one of the main functions of the temple was forgiveness. It's going, we just got to get back to real healthy spirituality, real grace, real forgiveness, real caring for people, real authentic connection with God. And so now we look at ourselves and we look at our traditions and the way that we express our religion or our faith or spirituality and ask ourselves, do we use our religion or our faith or our spirituality to hide from the things that maybe we're doing or not doing for other people? And this really hit me this year. Again, maybe it's because we don't have some of the stuff that we're normally used to. But uh, as I think about Holy Week and I think about the priorities of Jesus and and what leads him to the cross. And just see his heart for people, his heart for those who are hurting. You know, the the foreigners and the fatherless and the the widows. The people who, who need somebody to stand up and help them and care for them. It's just on my heart to say well, who are we going to be? Who's Westside going to be? A group of people who says we're following Jesus. We're walking with Jesus. Well, we better make sure that that's what we actually do. That that's what our lives are actually about. So we are entering into Holy Week. We have a ton of stuff planned for you this week. And in a minute, you're going to see our ministry director, Zach's going to come and give you a lot of specifics on instructions of how you can participate this week. How we can celebrate Easter together. So excited for a lot of stuff. I want to share one of those things with you that I think is going to be so important, whatever else we do as we follow Jesus. We've seen in this passage how important it is to care for those who are vulnerable, uh, those who don't have enough, those who need somebody to be there for them and and provide for them. And so we've been thinking um, about who's vulnerable in our city. There's so many people who are vulnerable. And this year... uh, has maybe accentuated some of those situations. There are many people living in our city who have lost work, especially people who are hourly wages, uh, hourly wage earners, um, and and some people who are already uh, struggling, are struggling even more. People who have to make decisions between paying their rent, and rents have have steadily increased, and buying food. And and imagine having to make that decision. Am I going to buy groceries or am I going to pay rent? Am I going to do shelter or am I going to do food? And one of the the last steps between homelessness is is being able to make those decisions and make sure that you have both of those things. And so uh, we've looked out through our city and and try to ask the question, who's doing something about this? Who can we partner with uh, this Easter to make sure that our religious expression, our faith is a very practical love for those who are most in need because whatever else we do in our worship, this needs absolutely to be part of it. We know that there are high rates of, of mental health struggle, incidents of abuse, people who have lost I've talked about that and there are so many needs and so uh, we are are looking to partner this year uh, with an organization called Hamilton Food Share. Hamilton Food Share uh, supplies and distributes they collect and then distribute uh, food non-perishable food items and also personal hygiene items to all kinds of other f- um, food drives uh, in our city uh, and, and different centers that are helping people. And so uh, as we looked out and we saw that, that there are some that are doing pretty well and some that are really struggling Hamilton Food Share makes sure that those who are struggling the most uh, are given resources so that they can give it to some of the people who are in most needs. And so they partner with a ton of other organizations some of which we've already partnered with in in the past. Uh, Some that you might recognize in our city like Good Shepherd, Living Rock Ministries, uh, Mission Services, Native Women's Center, Neighbor to Neighbor, Salvation Army in both Hamilton and Dundas, Wesley Urban Centers and Ancaster Community Services and making sure that those food banks have what they need to provide for the people in the different areas of our city. And so this Saturday, uh, hopefully you've already heard it. We're doing some awesome things for family. We have a scavenger hunt, which is going to be a ton of fun. We want you to bring your kids, sign up for a slot. You'll get instructions on that in a little bit too. But on Saturday, this Saturday of Easter weekend between 10 and 12, we are going to be doing a drive-through contactless distance food drive to support Hamilton Food Share. And so I want to encourage you um, to go shopping, fill a bag of of non-perishable food items, fill your trunk of your car with non-perishable food items, fill your entire car, and we have three big bins like this that we want to fill. That's our goal. There's tons of space for tons of stuff in each one of these bins. And we want you to come drive through, drop off your donations. We want to fill them to overflowing so that we can make sure that as an act of worship to our God as we walk with Jesus, we are caring for people in our city in a very practical way. I want you to come yourselves, tell your family about it, tell your friends about it, tell your neighbors about it, invite them to be part of this, uh, to come drive through and, and make sure that we're just in a really practical way caring for people. Because I believe that whatever we else we do, to worship. Songs that we sing, the the messages that we preach, the the, the words that we read in scripture. We're going to take communion on Friday together on Zoom. We hope you'll join us for that. All these ways of remembering what Jesus has done for us on the cross and that he's resurrected. But where it really takes power is not when we come uh, to a building, which we can't really do this year, or even to a Zoom call or to a, a YouTube video. But it's when we come together to care for vulnerable people. To put our money where our mouth is. Our donations will match what we say we're all about. And as I think through what's so important for us as the Westside community, Westside church community. Who are we? Why do we need to exist? Why, why, why does the, the city need us to be here? It'll be found when we really walk with Jesus. And when his priorities become our priorities. And when they come into focus and we actually live them out. Day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. And whatever we do on Sundays to worship isn't hiding from the rest of our lives. But when it all matches up together, taking the love and compassion and provision of a God who gives us everything and then we get to receive it and then we get to distribute it. So I so hope that I'll see you on Saturday between 10 and 12 here uh, with whatever you can bring, whatever you can sacrifice, whatever you can donate. Uh, There's going to be a list of the most needed items uh, for our food banks in our city that you can find on our website. Uh, Or if you get our newsletter email each week, you'll be sent that, you'll have that. And uh, you can get specific things. Make sure you get those non-perishable items or uh, hygienic items. Uh, Bring them out Sunday between 10 and 12. I'll be here and can't wait to see you from a distance but to see the way that God is going to make a difference as we commit to walking with Jesus this Easter. And so Heavenly Father, we're asking that you would make a big impact this coming weekend. Because at Easter, we see the the, the greatest impact that you've made in the world. As we see the, the crucifixion of Jesus and then his resurrection. As we celebrate that, we want to make sure that our lives match up with who we say we are and who we're worshiping you. And we're worshiping you, the God of love And so we pray that you'd help us to be loving people, sacrificial people, generous people. And we pray that those who are most vulnerable in our city would know that there's people who love them and that that would point them to knowing a God that loves them. We would see a real practical difference made uh, this coming weekend by what you're doing uh, through our community and in our city. So we trust you with that. Motivate us, encourage us, give us strength. And we pray all this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.